This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here, my guest this week in the studio, Sue Scambaluri. Sue is running for Bloomington City Council, District 2 seat. That's the seat being held by two-term incumbent Dorothy Granger. She's also running in the Democratic primary against a fellow named Daniel Bingham. There's also a Republican candidate in this race. The only one registered in the Bloomington race so far. He's running unopposed. There's a full house for District 2 seat. It's a full year. It's a, And I'm thrilled to see that. District 2 uh, has not had a choice in candidates since 2007. Uh, and so I think the conversation is much more robust and the debate is healthy for us. I thank you for being on Big Talk. We're going to find out all about Sue Scambaluri. I keep on wanting to say it because i got to practice that name. It's good and long. Did everybody keep that name, uh, all your sibs and your dad and your mom? You know, it, it's, it's actually an interesting story. My father, Vito, uh, my dad passed away in 2016, and I miss him dearly. Um, he had nine brothers and sisters. All of his sisters lost the name Scambaluri when they married, as women did at the time. And most of his brothers, other than him, sliced off the S at the beginning and sliced off the Lurie <laughs> at the end, and that left them with Gamble. So I have a whole pack of cousins uh, with the last name Gamble as well. My father uh, was a very, very humble man, um, but never particularly felt the need to apologize for having a cumbersome last name. Uh, so as a nod to him, I've always kept it. My dad was very, very much a servant of his community. He worked very hard to do that. Um, he never ran for office, but I always knew him as a volunteer, either at my school or in the community or with the local political parties. Uh, so I'm grateful that both my mom and my dad instilled some of those values in me. Let's go to the very beginning. On the City of Bloomington's Dreamers and Doers page, there's a quote about you saying that some of your motives were a desire to work, this is a quote, a desire to work to assure that her adopted city, Bloomington, mm -hmm. never suffers a devastating economic downturn like her hometown experienced. I grew up in Maryville, Indiana, and which was actually Gary when I was born. It then became the section where we lived became the town of Maryville in 1972. Born in 65, and the 1950s and 60s, just that whole mid-century period, in Northwest Indiana was the heyday for U.S. Steel and for all of the steel mills there. It seemed as almost everyone we knew either worked for the mills or worked for an industry that supported the mills. Uh -huh. And then in the late 70s and early 80s came the economic downturn. And U.S. Steel uh, in particular went from employing probably close to 30,000 people to employing about 7,000. The area was was economically devastated, and so were families. My father, uh, I graduated from high school in May of 83. In April of 83, with me about to go to college, my father was forced to accept retirement from U.S. Steel after 43 years in metallurgy. And it was a, a work community and colleagues that he loved dearly. Um, but again, the mill that affected my family personally. I, I was off at college in the years that followed and then in graduate school and now here. 
I've watched my town, my hometown decline over the years. And it's it's rebounded a little bit in some ways. But I think we'll, we haven't seen that mid-century prosperity that we saw at one time. I want to help ensure that Bloomington never faces that fate. And that kind of, the, the core word that keeps coming up in my campaign is the notion of resilience. Towns can have all kinds of industries and can have all kinds of companies be a part of the employment base in town. What's important is resilience. Are we attracting jobs and positions and are we creating an environment where we can attract jobs that last? And that's part of my work on the Redevelopment Commission. It's what I hope to accomplish on city council. That was essentially a one-horse town in a way. They had the one industry. What did people do? A lot of people moved. A lot of people left. Uh It's interesting because if you drive down um, Broadway in Gary, you could see evidence that the town was prosperous at one time. You see these beautiful limestone buildings and, and gorgeous architecture. That has, that has so fallen into disrepair and been abandoned over the years. And, and it, it is sad to see. Bloomington is, is uh, I would like to think, a much more resilient town. What did your mom do? My mom, for the most part, was a homemaker. For intermittently over the years, she worked as support staff, as clerical staff in the steel mills. And she worked in retail at South Lake Mall, which was the big grand mall that yeah. opened in 1975 in Northwest Indiana. I have two older brothers. My parents sent all three of us to 12 years of Catholic school. And my parents were not particularly of means, so that yeah. meant sacrifices. And that meant we didn't necessarily take a vacation every year. you know. Yeah. Um, and that was part of my mom's choice to work as well. So. And it was of utmost importance to provide the good solid education for the kids. It is. I still have have fond memories of Mrs. Thomas, who made us diagram eight million sentences <laughs> over the years. So. Now, I wonder if we need to even define what diagram probably. a sentence means. Probably. Or, or parsing a sentence is what parsing. it Parsing. Yeah, yes. yeah. What was the name of your elementary school? I went to Saints Peter and Paul uh-huh. uh, Elementary School, grades one through eight a school that's now closed. Oh. Uh, and then I went to Andrean High School uh-huh. uh, in Gary. And it's not closed, but it is struggling. It's actually uh, just, if I follow the news correctly, is now in a conversation about whether or not to relocate to some of the southern cities like uh, Valparaiso and Crown yeah. Point. And then somehow you wound up in the great town of Bloomington, Indiana. Let me guess, you went to school? Uh, I did. Actually, my undergraduate work was at Purdue University. I so so we could feel a rumble now in the distance about that. Oh my heavens! But uh, both my older brothers had gone to Purdue. I knew the campus very well um, and felt very comfortable there. I was actually admitted to something called the Freshman Scholars Program, which was a teeny tiny bit of scholarship support, but a chance to work with graduate students on their research. So it was a good experience for a freshman. Freshmen didn't get that very often. So I studied organizational communication and organizational psychology. Uh, Loved it, actually. My senior year at Purdue, I became an RA, a residence hall counselor. I had always thought of myself as going into retail or something like that. My senior year, I realized that I, I might be able to do a lot of different things, but I loved the higher ed environment. 
And so I chose to look at student affairs, Mm -hmm. uh, student personnel as a career. IU at the time had one of the best master's programs in the country in that field. And so I came here to IU to pursue a master's, earned that in 1990, and went, and my first grown-up job, so to speak, was at the College of the Holy Cross in Massachusetts. Ah. So I lived in Massachusetts for a few years and and still have very dear friends there, but I am a Midwesterner at heart. You came back home. Loved it and happy to be here again, so... I noticed you started working at Indiana University in 1992. I did. And then I see that you moved to Bloomington in 1994. I was actually, uh, we were living in Indianapolis at the time. Uh And my former husband actually worked for Butler University and ran a residence hall there. So we actually had an apartment in the residence hall. You really were in the college world. It was immersive, yes. Yes. Uh, So, and then. Did you blare your music? I didn't dare. I didn't dare. And then in 1994, he accepted a new position. And so we moved and I was working at IU and loved it. Um, And so and both of us loved Bloomington. So we relocated here. And there's no better city. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Sue, is it possible that Bloomington can suffer a fate similar to Merrillville and Gary? Could it? Well, I, th- I think it, had you asked Gary that question back in the mid-century, they would have said certainly not. The steel right. mills are incredibly powerful. I would like to think it's always wise to ask the question, though. Bloomington has made some very good investments, I think. I think the Trades District and the Dimension Mill is an excellent opportunity to recruit some very future-oriented, information-based businesses. So I would like to think that we've done some things that will make us a resilient city, We have to keep doing those. We have to be very strategic about those investments. The Redevelopment Commission has been a great pleasure and a great privilege to work on for the last five years, and that's a lot of what we pay attention to. Can we create the environment that attracts the kinds of jobs that will stick around? You've got people like Pat East and Mike Trotsky and all that, Mm -hmm. uh, starting businesses, hiring people. This is dynamic. This is exciting stuff. It really is. Pat East is phenomenally talented. It's a pleasure and a privilege to work with him. Uh, he is, for those who don't know, he is the director of Dimension Mill, Inc., and is basically shepherding and providing leadership as the Dimension Mill launches. And it's actually, I don't even know that it's accurate to say that the Dimension Mill launches. It's well on its way. And Mike Trotsky is obviously an opinion leader in the tech community here and has been very instrumental in the conversation to develop the Trades District and many other um, initiatives. So Bloomington is fortunate. We have a lot of great talent here. Well, you've already told us that you uh, are a member of the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission. Let me run down the list of some of the other organizations you've been involved in uh, You have been on the uh, Community Development Block Grant Citizens Advisory Committee. You have done work with Habitat for Humanity. You have done work with the South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities Organization. You're with Rotary. You have uh, done work with the Monroe County History Center. You have done work with TEDx Bloomington. And you have been involved with the Jack Hopkins Social Service Funding Committee. Are you still doing all of that work? No, I'm not doing all of it. Um, I'm doing much of it. We have actually concluded our work for this year on this 
Community Development Block Grant Citizens Advisory Committee. Uh-huh. Habitat for Humanity, I served on that, oh gosh, till I think about 2011 or 2012. I had uh, the opportunity to serve on the Family Selection Committee that ah. chooses partner families for the organization and eventually chaired that group and met some amazing families along the way. Uh, South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, I am currently a member of their board of advisors. Mm. So I have an opportunity to work with them and with Deb Meyerson, who is a, a great talent and a great leader looking forward and looking at some strategic planning opportunities. Rotary, I was involved in, um, gosh, I think until about 2012 or so. Um, But I had the pleasure of serving on the board. And what was great about Rotary, um, I've worked at IU for, as of this August, it'll be 27 years. So you get to know a lot of people at IU. Rotary was a great chance to meet people from across the community. And, And I just, I loved and some of those are are good friends to this day so i'm very pleased about that bloomington i i think it's a very service-minded kind of city i think a lot of people volunteer yeah um and i'm grateful to have been a part of a lot of that what goes on in the jack hopkins uh social service funding committee thank you for that question every year the city council for the city of bloomington sets aside um a pot of money that is intended to make strategic investments in local nonprofits, Ah. people who respond to very critical issues like food insecurity or housing insecurity. There is a committee that fields requests and proposals from different organizations, evaluates them, talks with those organizations, and then makes awards for those funds. Uh And I was a citizen member of that committee and had a chance to learn a great deal. We have a formidable nonprofit network uh, in Bloomington that, and a lot of talented people working on those kinds of issues. You know, it's a funny thing, Sue, uh, from an IDS story about your candidacy, uh, they talked about uh, in your job as an IU fundraiser, you're involved with nonprofits, uh, uh, of course, and it says here it has helped you understand both the public and private sectors and how they can work together. Yes, I I always tell people I have the best job in the world. So there are lots (laughs) of great jobs out there, but I have the best job in the world. Essentially, my job is to serve as a catalyst for private support for the College of Arts and Sciences at Indiana University. And that means private support both from individuals and from corporations and foundations. So in the course of that, I've had occasion to sit across the table from the chief scientific officer and the CEO of a Fortune 200 company Mm -hmm. and talk about what might be involved in co-locating their labs here in Bloomington with our scientists. Bringing jobs. Bringing jobs, uh, bringing opportunities for innovation. Yeah. So, um, So I know what it's like to actually talk with private sector partners and look at ways together how IU could be a partner of choice for them. And in this case, in that case in particular, how Bloomington could be a location of choice for mm-hmm. them. So add that to what you mentioned before about just service I've had an opportunity to do in town. And I think that might be what makes me distinct as a candidate. I know what it's like to work with a private sector and to engage them. And I think I have a pretty good insight into the hard work done by our nonprofit sector as well. So a foot in both worlds in a way. In a way, yes. And I I like to think that would help me make better decisions as a council member. Now, now speaking of other worlds, 
part of this IDS story uh, talked about your involvement in various community services organizations and all that. And you're quoted as saying, I think it showed me how hard these people work. These people struggle to survive. Mm -hmm. How did you learn all that? Did you witness it? I did. It's interesting you you, you mentioned that. I, I find myself thinking back. Um, part of my role on the Habitat for Humanity Family Selection Committee, for example, was certainly to review documentation, financials, and so forth. But I think the, the more important re- responsibility we had as a committee was to actually go and visit and interview prospective partner families. So I, I remember vividly one family I met with a husband and wife and their five children in a 700 square foot house here in Bloomington. Wow. Uh, the mold in the house really aggravated asthma ah, for two of the children. Sure. Her mom also lived with them and they had done amazing work just to create extra space and create bunk beds in the house and everything to accommodate that. They'd worked very hard and been very planful. I think both of them worked at least two or three jobs. So they were very, very dedicated to serving their children and keeping them as safe as they could. But Habitat provided an opportunity for them to have a safer home for their kids. And again, I, I, to this day, I think back to that family and I am inspired by how hard they worked and how eager they were to play a part in their own success. Uh, Habitat, most people know Habitat has the uh, requirement of sweat equity on the part of its families. Absolutely. Um, This family was very eager to do that. And it was, again, they in, families like that inspire me. I wondered, did you ever do any of that uh, sweat work at the home? Did I? I have, you know, I have shoveled pea gravel. <laughs> um, I tried unsuccessfully to hang drywall. I wasn't very good at that. So, so, <laughs> well, who is? <laughs> so, so the world is, is a better place when I don't try to hang drywall. But I have shoveled pea gravel and bolted sill plates and... Uh, painted. Usually I can paint without doing too much harm, so <laughs> so that's a good task. But no, I've had a chance to do some of that. And again, it, it's a privilege. And I've, I've seen families walk into the homes, and I've seen a mom talking with her son saying, your room's going to be right here. Oh, the house boy. is just barely framed. And they've said, yeah. you're, you're going to have a room here. How can you look on that and not feel moved? That's interesting that we talk about this because uh, one of the things you talk about is affordable housing. You talk about bringing down the price of housing. How can the city council do that? If you get elected, if you're on the city council, what are you going to do about it? I think I think that's an excellent question. Um, the notion of affordable housing is actually a pretty nuanced question. You hear... N- workforce housing and affordable housing, and are those the same or are they interchangeable? A long time ago, a friend of mine shared the phrase with me that, that many times people are like lab rats. We press levers that give us food pellets, yeah. which is, I think, kind of a pithy way of saying we do what we are incentivized to do. Mm-hmm. So in the case of city council, I think our opportunity is to put in place incentives to build affordable housing. I was actually part of one project, PEDCOR, that PEDCOR did at the Beeline Heights. We built that in to the to the trades district, to the Dimension Mill property mm-hmm. uh, and the certified tech park. So I think we can incorporate affordable housing into existing projects that we have. I think we can also explore ways to incentivize developers to include affordable housing in the projects they develop. A lot of them certainly want to develop student housing, and student housing has a place. 
But if we look at opportunities to incentivize that, either through funding or expedited processing, those might be an opportunity to incentivize more affordable housing. Interestingly, the common knowledge around town, whether it's accurate or not, is that a lot of the housing being built is high-end housing for students. But you also mentioned the fact there's a lot of students who need low-cost housing, affordable housing. Certainly we have students coming to IU who who are of means Mm -hmm. and, and who are affluent enough to afford some of the higher price. But we're a state university. We're a public university, and we have a lot of first-generation students for whom affordable housing is also important. Now, whenabouts did you say, you know what, I'm running? I'm trying to think. The first time I was actually asked to run, gosh, probably goes back to the early 2000s, I think. And, And I just said, oh, what a lovely idea. And didn't think much more about it. Now, would this be friends saying, you know what, Sue, you ought to run. You've got the stuff. Friends, or, a, mem- a member yeah. of council uh, oh. who, uh, who is a friend of mine. A current city council member who serves a district actually reached out to me, and we sat down to talk about a number of things. But in particular, she asked if I would consider running for a district seat in 2019. I've had uh, other members of city council who have reached out, and and I've asked their advice as well. What does it take to be in council? What does it take to be successful? And and to a person, they've all been very encouraging. And then I kind of sat and thought thought about that for in subsequent years. And for me, the ultimate question isn't whether or not I want to hold elected office. That actually doesn't have anything to do with it. I've tried to think really intentionally, what is Bloomington going to need in the next few years? What kind of challenges are we going to face? What kinds of opportunities are council members going to need to understand and seize if they can? And do I have that skill set? Do I have that expertise? Um, so that's been my thought process. And, and all through um, 2018, I actually was engaged with some local political caucuses, tried to attend trainings that would teach me about what it would mean to have to campaign. And again, the the final question for me is, what do I think Bloomington needs? And the kind of balanced perspective that I talked about, the insight into the private sector and the public sector that I talked about, I think that's going to serve Bloomington well in the years to come. And so that kind of tipped the scales for me. One of the complaints that you often hear around town is that uh, there's a lot of IU people on the council. I'm sure that as an IU person, I should probably dismiss that in some some articulate way but uh i think i think um certainly i I don't think any municipal board whether it's here or any other city should be too homogenous i think a breadth of perspective and, and a variety of experiences can make for a stronger council so um, in the case of those who have connections to IU, I know Isabel Piedmont-Smith is, is a respected fiscal officer mm-hmm. uh, in the Department of French and Italian. Dave Rollo is a scientist. Yeah. So I think we, we may all be connected to IU, but we come, from pretty, we come from pretty different roles at IU. If you were elected, would you be even just tempted to say, how does this affect my employer? whatever issue might be coming up before the city council? The short answer is sure, I would. And I would be equally inclined to say, and how will this affect Cook? And how will this affect Envisage Technologies? 
And how will this affect a local mechanic who just has a one-stall garage that he serves? So certainly, I, I, I think Blooming IU is very much part of Bloomington. Mm-hmm. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about that. But I think I would ask those same questions about a lot of other employers. Say, by the way, tomorrow begins WFHB's Spring Fun Drive Sue, how about that, huh? I think that's wonderful. FHB is an amazing resource in the city, so excellent. Thank you. I'm glad to know that's coming up and glad to support it. It runs from tomorrow, Friday, March 29th through April 7th. That's two weekends worth, as well as the weekdays in between. Fun Drive, call us up or go to our website and press the big red donate button. Pretty simple, huh, Sue? Absolutely. You know a little bit about raising funds for organizations and so forth? I do. Let's talk about some specifics. Actually, can I tell you a fundraising story really quickly? One of the central questions that any fundraiser asks a donor is, what do you want to accomplish with your money that would be most meaningful to you? What do you want to accomplish with your money that would be most meaningful to you? And I think in the case of of FHB and public radio here in town, people are voting on the kind of community they want to have and the kind of resources they want to have here. Uh, And that's what their gifts mean. Wow. Will you come to work for us? I... (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's a question I like to ask all of the candidates. Have you begun knocking on doors? Have you been ringing doorbells? Oh, my gosh, yes. And I'm actually kind of sore from all the <laughs> walking I did. Um, yes, I have, actually. This past weekend, um, I focused on Ridgefield and Sugarberry in particular. So I met, a, a, well, I know many of my neighbors already, but I met a lot of new ones as well. We have some great conversations along the way, but I always try and convey three things. First of all, it is a municipal election year. Every four years, we get this chance to choose our mayor and our council members. I also try to convey that this is the first time since 2007 that our District 2 residents have had a choice of candidates. So it's an opportunity to examine how we're doing and what we need going forward. And the third thing I always stress is that every single vote counts. Um, District 2 was decided by four votes in 2007. Wow. Which is amazing. And so for anyone who is concerned that, oh, gosh, voting, I I can't make it a priority. I'm too busy. My vote won't count that much anyway. It counts. It makes a big difference. If someone's interested in more information about the Sue Scambaluri, did I do it again? Perfect. Oh, man, I'm just trying. About your campaign, how do they do it? Two resources. First of all, my website, sueforcitycouncil.com, will provide an overview of some of my priorities. It'll tell you a little bit about my background, and it will connect to my LinkedIn if you'd like to learn more about my background. The other option would be my Facebook page, my campaign Facebook page, sueforcitycouncil.com. Both of them, both my Facebook page and the website, have a messaging function. So please let me hear from you. As you have ideas or concerns or questions about the city, please let me know. La, 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 la. We've run out of time, so join us Monday for Big Talk Extra during the 5 p.m. Daily Local News for more of this conversation. 
Sue Scambaluri. She's a director of development at the Indiana University College of Arts and Sciences. She's a candidate for the District 2 seat on the Bloomington City Council. She's running in the Democratic primary. That happens the first Tuesday in May. It's coming up, Sue. It is. Thank you for being on Big Talk. Thank you for adding to the conversation this year. Thank you.